Matthew chapter 10 says this. If you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you receive a prophet's reward. One of the greatest mistakes a church can make is to trivialize the gift of their pastor. Sometimes uh, you get to a place where that's just, oh, that's just Mark. You know, that's just Mark. The minute you start saying that's just Mark, you lose the ability to receive the pastoral gift. And so you should always honor your pastor, not because his name is Mark Bohr, but because God placed a gift in him called the pastor. Just like somebody put a gift of the prophet in somebody, it says if you honor a prophet, you receive a prophet's reward. If you honor your pastor, you receive a pastor's reward. And you may not need your pastor every day of your life, but there's going to be a day where you're going to have to call upon him and you're going to need that gift. And if all Sunday afternoon you had Rose Pastor and you get to, in, into the hospital on Monday, he'll come and pray for you, but don't expect his gift to work for you because you've criticized the gift for so long and then you expect the gift to work for you. So you need to honor your pastor and treat your pastor like a king. Amen? Amen. And if you don't, I'll kick your... <laughs> and I mean that in the Greek sense. All right, let me just give you a little thought here. An old blind cowboy wanders into an all-girl all biker bar by mistake. He finds his way to the bar stool and orders a shot of Jack Daniels. Now, you guys wouldn't know anything about that. After sitting for a while, he yells to his bartender, Hey, you want to hear a blonde joke? Now, this is an all-girl biker bar. The bar immediately falls absolutely silent. In a very deep, husky voice, the woman next to him says, Hey, before you tell that joke, cowboy, I got to tell you, I think it's only fair, I give you, uh, given that you are blind, that you should know five things. Number one, the bartender is a blonde girl with a baseball bat. Number two, the bouncer is a blonde girl. Number three, I'm six foot tall, 175 pound blonde woman with a black belt in karate. Number four, the woman sitting next to me is a blonde and a professional weightlifter. Number five, the lady to your right is blonde and a professional wrestler. Now, think about it seriously, cowboy. Do you still want to tell that blonde joke? The, blonde cowboy, or the, the blind cowboy looks for a second, shakes his head, and mutters, Nah, not if I'm going to have to explain it five times. <laughs> Ooh. How important are men in a church? Listen to this, listen to this, listen to these statistics. Now this is across the board, Catholics, Pentecostals, Word of Faith, Baptists, across the board, Presbyterian, religious people. If a mom and dad remain faithful to the things of God, 72% of children will follow their example and remain faithful to the Lord. If a mom and dad together, only 72%. I would say churches are, like ours are probably in the 90%, but across the board, 72%. When mom and dad come to church together, serve God, 72% of kids remain faithful to the Lord. If the dad comes to church only, then it goes down to 55%. If it doesn't come with mom, then 55, only 55% of kids remain faithful. Across the board, churches like ours, probably 75%. Listen to this. If a mom drags the children to church and the dad doesn't come, 15% goes from 55% with the male only, bring, bring the kids to church, down to 15%. And if neither, it goes to 
6%. So 72% of mom and dad remain faithful. Dad, 55%. Mom, 15%. And dad, are, and neither 6%. There was a, um, there was a, a chaplain in a, in a prison and decided that this chaplain, you know, as we churches do, wanted to bless the prisoners. So on Mother's Day, he sent out, a, he gave out 150, they had 150 Mother's Day cards that they wanted to give to the prisoners so they could send them out to their moms. Well, quickly all 150 disappeared. So he said, that's such a great idea. He said, we're going to do that again on Father's Day. We're going to give free Father's Day cards out to all the 150 Father's Day cards we're going to send out there. Three Father's Day cards disappeared. All 150 Mother's Day cards, only three Father's Day cards. Guys, if you don't do it, it's not going to get done. The bottom line is, women have carried the church for so long, and I'm happy to tell you this, that I may be the only church in American history, but we have more men in our church than we do women. I may be the only church in American history that's ever done that, but we have more men in our church than we do women. Why? Because we don't put up with a bunch of bed-wetting mama's boys. We're, we're, raising, we're, we're raising men and champion men in our church. And we're raising strong men that smell like men, ride Harleys, kick butt, and take names. If you want to be a part of something like that, I believe this is the same type of thing that you have here. It's time that men rose up. We're not the biggest and the baddest. Well, we're the biggest, but we may, and we're probably the baddest. But we're not the biggest in the world. But men are so important to the the um, future of Christianity as a whole. I'm an old logger, I chewed Copenhagen, all that kind of stuff, so I just translated that right over into the gospel. I'm not some prissy dude, so if you expect some fluffy message, you're probably not going to get it this morning. I'm going to get right in your face because you're men. The reason why we have men's meetings is we talk about things that we don't want to talk about with women. Right? Now listen to this, and I won't go into this today, and I'm, I, I was talking to pastor last night about this. I did an uh, informal survey, I don't know, we had 75 guys there one day, and I, I, I had these little post-it notes, and I, and I sent them out to everybody, so everybody's, uh, everybody's little post-it note looks the same, so you know, it wasn't like some guy had a blue piece of paper that he'd tell off on him, you know, in the, and I did an informal survey, and I said, how many men have been involved in pornography in the last 30 days? 72% of my, out of the 75 guys that were there in my church had been involved in pornography in the last 30 days. I'd venture to say that it's probably not less, the statistic's probably the same in this room. Guys, that's, that's a killer. I don't want to go into that today, but that is a killer of your life. And if you are, if you're, yeah, I mean, you know, we all have watched a movie too long. I'm not talking about that, you know. I mean, I'm not talking about, oh gosh, I shouldn't have watched that movie for that extra five minutes. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a continual basis of that. You better get some help because that stuff will make you weird. You'll start thinking 18 year old girls like you when you're 50 and fat. <laughs> Some 18 year old girl in the church walks up and says, Hi. And she thinks, Oh, and, and you go, Oh, she likes me. Men think so weird. We think just goofy, weird thoughts, you know. So get over yourself, you know, and realize that you're 50 and fat, and 18 year old girls do not like you. That's the pornography speaking, all right? Amen. <laughs> hey, I'm a great delegator. I, I'm a, I've been pastoring almost 29 years. I'm a great delegator. Um, I don't spend a lot of time even in my office because I can't stand to be there because when I'm there, they ask me things like, what color should the bulletin be today? I say, oh, who cares what color the bulletin should be? Just, you know, I mean, I don't care about that stuff. I, 
you know, it's just when I get to go to the office, they ask me the dumbest questions and different things. And so I'll, I just say, that's why, that's why I pay you for is I don't care about all that stuff. You know, and once in a while they'll run things by me and stuff. I'm a great delegator. I delegate almost everything in my life is delegated. I, I just, I delegate almost everything. I mean, that's why I hire staff. I, I'm not good at very much stuff. I tell people all the time I'm good at two things and I can't remember what the second one is. I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not multitask. My wife can drive down the road doing her makeup, talking on the phone, shifting gears and doing everything. I can't even remember if I put my underwear on in the morning sometimes, you know. <laughs> And I'm not a great, I'm not a great, uh, I'm a great delegator, so I delegate my whole life. I'm not good at singing. I, I, I do one thing. I lead and I teach. I lead and I teach. That's what I do. That's what I do best. But what I want to talk to you this morning about is things that men cannot delegate. I want to talk to you about eight things that men cannot delegate. Eight things that men cannot delegate. By just virtue of being a man, you are, as your, as your, uh, virtue of being a man, you have certain authority and certain rights and certain responsibilities that you have in your life just by virtue of being a man. If you're born male, you have a responsibility in this life. You can shirk your responsibilities. You can go off and live on the street and hold up a sign that says, we'll work for food, and you can shirk your responsibilities. But the reality is, if you're going to live in this world and be a man, God, by virtue of you being born male, gives you certain authority, certain responsibilities, and with that comes the authority. To, to carry out that responsibility. So there's certain things in your family you just cannot delegate. Let's get into eight things real quick. Number one is you cannot delegate prayer for your family. You cannot delegate prayer for your family. You say, my wife's a prayer warrior, so I don't have to. Bull. There's certain things, that's like saying, uh, that's like, you know, that's like, uh, you know, that's like almost to a place where you just shirk your responsibilities and, and let me tell you something, somebody that's praying out of authority, if you will, God doesn't answer prayer out of authority. You know, it, let me just give you an example. Uh, what was your name, bro? Kenny. Kenny. I can't walk into Kenny's house. Kenny would probably stop me by the looks of him. If I walked to Kenny's house, I walked up him, and I walked into his house, found out where he lived, knocked, I didn't even knock on the door, just walked in. Well, he's going to go, what in, the, what in the world are you doing? And he's probably going to stop me. Why? Because I have no authority in that place. He has the authority in his own home. I at least have to knock and be invited in. Otherwise, he can call the cops on me because there's an authority when you're, I'm under his roof. Now, I can hang out on the street all I want, but the minute I touch his property, there's an authority that comes with that that I can't, I can't violate. And so he's responsible for his own home. And so when you walk into that home, you can just see by that authority right there that I have no authority to enter in that home without permission. I have no authority. Well, that same type of authority, prayer in your home, you have, your wife really has no right even to assert that authority over the top of you. And if you, you cannot delegate that part. Now, your wife can assist you, pray with you, believe with you, agree with you, but that is your responsibility. I don't know about you, but... Growing up, I had just had one son, and he's, my son has uh, played Division I baseball. He's tough as nails. I love that kid. Rides a, rides a Harley with big old ape hangers, you know, and, and uh, he just come back from Raymond, and he wants to take over for me, and he's six foot three and huge arms and muscle guy, and, and he's tough as nails. I love it, you know. But um, I have no, have no idea what, what that has to do with anything, but I, but I just <laughs> thought I'd tell you that. <laughs> But when he would, no, when he was sick, when he would get sick as a child, uh, when he'd get sick as a child, and there was a few times, 
But sometimes I'd, I'd lay awake. I, I got mad. I got, I got just PO'd about sickness in our home. I didn't let my wife pray over it. I mean, she, if she wanted to pray over it, that's fine. I, I mean, she, there's an authority. I mean, she has that too. Don't get me wrong when I'm saying this. But, but I looked at it as my responsibility. I'm not going to shirk that responsibility. So there's times where I had to do intercession and prayer over him, just like business. I mean, I just, I went after that thing sometimes. When sickness got in my home, you know, in my home, uh, my home and my church, if you came into my home unannounced in the middle of the night, there's probably going to be something by my bedside that will meet you that will be a very loud bang, you know. And in my church, you might get the first shot off, but you won't get the second one off in my church, just let you know. Because if somebody's intruding on my space, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take them out. And yet you guys allow sickness and strife and different things in our homes all the time, and it's intruding on your space. And I take sick, sickness tries to invade my household, I take it out. Amen. Depression tries to overcome my household, I take it out. Amen. I, I go on and on. Actually, some of these are on here. But I do not allow it in my home. I do not allow it. Raised our son with, other than he you know, was lifting weights, got a hernia operation for 3000 bucks. Other than that, I think we've raised him on two, $300 total medical expenses the whole time because he got an ear infection when we were in Hawaii. And that's about the only medical expenses we've had because, and I'm not saying, I'm not trying to criticize anybody that's had a sick child, that kind of stuff, because that's a whole different thing. He was a pretty healthy child. But the reality is I'm going to drive that stuff out. Prayer is not going to be delegated to my wife. I'm going to, I'm going to deal with it. So my wife and I, we don't, we don't have this prayer time where we get up every morning, pray together, things like that. But we agree in prayer sometimes. But she knows that I'm praying. She knows that I'm praying. So you can't delegate prayer. It's just not going to work. You, you can't delegate it. That'd be like me hiring somebody to do my intercession for me at the church. Would you mind? I'm going to just hire a full-time intercessor to pray for the services. Please, that's not going to work. You, there's not authority there. Number two, Bible knowledge of your home must be led by you. Um, when my son, I don't know, he's probably 10 years old or so, I was, uh, was, I was asking him to quote some healing scriptures to me. And, you know, we were just kind of having a little family, just a informal discussion. I said, hey, where's that? You know, give me a couple healing scriptures or whatever. We weren't, I wasn't testing them or anything. We were just kind of having a little fun, you know. And boy, I found out real quick how low the Bible knowledge was in my house. Not just with my son either. I just was like, oh. I, and and, and I, I said, you know, that responsibility is me. I need to step it up and take that responsibility. So I stepped it up and made sure. My, my son, uh, when he worked in the oil fields for a year, and so I, 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 I've always taught him Psalm 91, which is, a, you know, you probably, if you're around here, you know that's a psalm of protection. And so he knows that psalm, all 16 verses by heart. And actually, he's a tattoo guy. He's got, he tattooed Psalm 91 down the bound, both sides of his, uh, you know, and, and he just quotes it all the time and things like that. It's kept him safe in the oil fields. And now we're, we're, the other night, we're just talking the word. We're going, talking back and forth the word. And he's quoting scriptures back and forth. And we're just talking the word. I'm going, I like this, man. I mean, I like what he's doing. But that was my responsibility to make sure that our, our family has Bible knowledge. Number three, your children's education is not your wife's responsibility. It's your responsibility. Now, that's Bible knowledge, but also their, their education, too. It's not, you can't, sh you can't delegate that responsibility. You can, I, I shouldn't say that, you can delegate that responsibility to a certain degree, but the responsibility of it, whether they're educated or not, is your responsibility. What do I mean by that? If you've got a fifth grader that comes in with all Fs, that's not his fault, that's your fault. That means you haven't stepped it up and, and figured out a way to do it. I have a friend of mine who owns a business, 
and his son has some dyslexia issues, and he just decided it's gonna, he's going to figure it out. And, man, he studied, and he figured it out, special schools, different things, but he just said, that's, not, I, I'm gonna, that's my responsibility to do that. So your child's education is your responsibility. You can't shirk that responsibility. Number four, um, money issues are your responsibility. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Money issues are your responsibility. 1 Timothy chapter 5 says this, and I don't want to put anybody down in this economy because if you have a job right now, keep it, you know. It says, if anyone, verse 8 says, if anyone does not provide for his own, his own, and especially of those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, let me talk to you just a little bit about that. About, he says, if you're not providing for your own family, now, and, I, and again, I don't have any problem with guys getting laid off and, and you know, unemployment and all that kind of stuff. I understand that. As a matter of fact, I've proven that I'm, that I'm willing to work, do whatever over the years. Uh, I, I've proven that to my wife. Um, you know, I've proven that I can make money for our household. I've proven that I can do stuff. I've proven that I'm willing to work. I'll do what it takes. You know, so many people say, well, you know, in this economy, well, I would never work at 7-Eleven. Boy, I would. If I didn't have a job, I would. I didn't have any money. I'd work at 7-Eleven. I'd sell everything I have, work at 7-Eleven. doesn't matter to me because I'm going to provide for my own household. Now, at the same time, since I've proven that and have been married for almost 30 years, at the same time, if I've proven that, if somehow my, gets, my wife got a job that makes more than me, hallelujah. I got no problem with that whatsoever, you know, because I've proven that I'm, that I'm able and willing to do that. Matter of fact, please, Theresa, my wife's name is Theresa, please get a job that makes more money than I do. Please, I have no problem with that. So I'm not going in that direction, but the responsibility is yours. Now, I'm going to be honest with you about delegation. I, I'm responsible for my finances in my home, but to be honest with you, I'm, I really, really have to think about what my, who my mortgage is from because I don't pay it. I don't know what my electric bill is. I, don't, I mean, I, 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 I can't stand those details. So she takes that responsibility on. Some of you guys are detailed that way. Some of you are not. I can't stand all that stuff. I can't stand mine. I love, I want everything done. I just don't do that. But the reality is I'm the one that's always dealing on the real estate issues and dealing with stuff. And how much, and I'm always, how much money do we have in this account? What are we doing in that account? In our giving account, can we give some here? And I know where I'm at, but the details I don't. So it's not like I'm trying to say you need to take over the whole thing because a lot of you guys being not multitaskers would probably ruin the thing. So, but the responsibility of the money is still yours. The responsibility in your home to provide for your household is still yours. And how that, guys, I don't care. I'll, I'll climb this mountain on my knees if I have to. I don't care what it takes. I'll take five jobs if I have to because I am not going to get lazy and sit around and do nothing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do something. And I think even unemployment. Don't get me wrong about unemployment if you're on it because I understand this economy we're in. But that can be a trap. It's almost like, ooh, I get a two-year vacation. And, and my, my brother, who's a headhunter in New York City, Headhunter is one who finds jobs for different people. He said this, he said, companies now, he says, the companies that they work with now, as far as unemployment, he said, do not send us anybody that's on unemployment for over, over a year. He said, because if they can't find a job in a year, then they don't want to work. He said, so do not send us anybody that's been on unemployment for over a year. So take that how you want, but the reality is, even in this economy, if you're going through some of that stuff and maybe you feel, I'm not trying to put any condemnation on you, I'm just trying to say, look, make sure that this hasn't become a vacation for you and not a supplement for you. 
Is that okay? Yeah. It's a little bit heated in here. Let's all say this together. Say, I love, I love Pastor, Glenn. Pastor Glenn. Okay, I'm just sweating it for a little bit. I, I get to shoot on out of here in a few days, so it doesn't matter. You can mark and deal with all this stuff. But. <laughs> Number five is the tone of your home. What's the tone of your home? Is there peace in your home, joy in your home, or fighting and bickering? What's the tone of your home? My, I have the most wonderful wife in the world, and, and I, I, I know I blow people away by this, but in, in 29 years of marriage, um, we've, I've never raised my voice to my wife, and she's never raised her voice to me in 29 years. Now, have we been mad at each other and felt that tension? Yes, but we choose not to be screamers and yellers in our home. We set the tone for our home. We're not going to, we set the tone for, our, for what's going to go on in our home. One day, my, my son, who's now, he just beat me up, but, but um, my son was, I think he was 12 years old, and he was yelling at his mom. And he was bickering and yelling at his mom, saying something to her. And I just grabbed him by the arm, and I took him to the back room, and uh, I took him to the back uh, uh, in the laundry room right there. We were kind of in the stairway, comes down, laundry room right there. And I grabbed him, and I took him to the laundry room, and I shut the door. And it stand up, bro. Stand up. And I and I went like this to him. You got to stay down there because that's about the size he was, you know. So, and I said, I said, Joel. I said, Joel, listen to me. And I pointed and I got mad. And, now, and let me say this: I've never raised my voice to my my wife, but I've raised my voice to my son a lot. <laughs> and I said, Joel, she was my wife before she was your mother, and no man talks to my wife that way. Thanks, bro. <laughs> and when my son is like my son, when he's in church now, and and he's been gone for seven years chasing baseball dreams, and then Rayma and different things. When he's in church now, he sits up by his mom and he puts his arm around his mom while I'm preaching, and he kisses her on the lips. Well, where did he learn that? In the laundry room. <laughs> See, we, you set the tone for your home. If you let your kids, if I came in and start screaming at your wife, you'd say, what in the flip are you doing? <laughs> and yet you let your kids do it all the time. Wow. Come on, let's set the tone for our home, guys. That needs to stop immediately because you're teaching the disrespect towards women and disrespect towards their wife. And my son's going to be a great husband and he's going to be a long time, you know, he's going to, he's going to have one wife and, and, and he's going to honor her as a queen. But he didn't learn it by himself. He learned it from me. Number six, you uh, set the spiritual climate of your home. If a man wakes up on a Sunday morning and asks this question, should we go to church today? <laughs> then you've already lost the battle of the spiritual battle for your home. If that is a question in your mind, should we go to church today? You've already lost the spiritual battle of your home. The spiritual battle, the enemy has already taken over your home and controls most of your, most of your home. Should we go to church today? That question has never even been brought up. Of course, I am the pastor, but that question has never been brought up. <laughs> One time, 
we, we, back in the days when we had, we had Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Oh, my God, those were bad days. We had Sunday night service, and my, my nephew was living with us for four years. And he's about the same age. My nephew's about the same age as my brother-in-law, who's now 30. But, I mean, he was like 10 back then. And, um, and they planned a birthday party for my, my uh, brother-in-law. And they invited my nephew to come with him. And, and they said, uh, and my wife said, sure, you know, no problem, you know. And I said, you call your mother, you call my mother-in-law back and tell her she, he can't come. Why? Because we have church that night. They want to schedule a birthday party, they schedule it around our church service. They don't schedule it during our church services. Well, that's harsh and cold. I know, my son just went to Rama. He's serving God, loves Jesus, uh, praise, you know, I mean, okay, you're going to have to make some tough choices here, guys. And it doesn't seem right for the moment. And, oh, I know, but my mother-in-law gets mad at me. Get over it, you know. I mean, my, my mother-in-law and father-in-law think I hung the moon. They think I'm the most amazing guy in the world. And why? Because I established my authority right off the bat, established what kind of family we're going to be. The spiritual climate of our home is you're responsible for the spiritual climate of your home. Amen. You are. You're just responsible for it. And the way you set the spiritual climate... People say, well, well, we just need family days. Yeah, you get them every Sunday in church. You get to go to church together, worship together. People say, well, we just need, you know, there's nothing wrong with a family vacation and things like that, but church should be a huge priority. Psalm 92, 13 says, they that are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of their God. So are you planted in the house of the Lord? Well, I, I, I always like this one. Uh, people say, well, I go to so-and-so church. I say, who's the pastor? Um... Yeah, you really go there a lot, don't you? You know, planted means I'm an usher. And how about this one? How about this one? I, th I think 50 percent. I, I, I listen, guys. I think 50 percent of our children's workers are men. I, probably higher than that, because men need these little these little seven-year-old kids come in there. They have no father, and their mother just drags them to church as best she can. And then they get taught by women, and we're feminizing our men. We're feminizing our men. And you know, and my wife, my wife has been an amazing lady in that she's let me be a man in our household. She never did this, you know, because moms are softer than naturally softer than, than men. So when when I was doing the discipline in our household, um, Theresa would let me do the discipline. She'd sometimes go, "Are you sure?" I said, "Yeah, just leave it to me." And I would discipline there, and but she let me do that because a lot of times women want to bring men down in their discipline and say, "You don't understand. Just, just get out of my way for a minute, and let me deal with this boy the way he needs to be dealt with." You know, so the spiritual climate of our homes is very important. You realize you, 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 you cannot, you cannot shirk the the responsibility, and the reality is, guys, um, you know. If you, if you, like I said, if you have to ask the question, should we come to church today, you probably already lost the battle. And I know that's, I know I'll probably PO some of you guys, but, you know, like I said, I can just leave town and mark and deal with it. But the reality is, guys, the greatest thing you can possibly do is think generationally. I have a, I have a, I have a goal for my family for a thousand years. My church is going to last a thousand years. And most of us guys don't think beyond day after tomorrow. What's your family going to look like a thousand years? Are they going to honor you as the patriarch or the idiot of the family? 
Are you the patriarch of the family that when you're, when you're 85 years old, see, I live my life this way, guys. This is the way I live my life. I, I live my life. Now, this may sound funny to you, but I live my life with my funeral in mind. So what do you mean with my funeral in mind? I don't think about this every day, but I think about it at least a couple times a week probably is what my funeral is going to look like. So I'm up there. I'm dead. I'm laying there in the casket, whatever. And my wife and my son are standing behind the pulpit, and they're talking about that man that's laying there. And what is she going to say about me, and what is he going to say about me? What's Mark Bohr going to say about me? What's Rick Sharkey going to say about me? What are my elders going to say about me? And whatever, they're going to, whatever I see them saying about me is the way I'm going to live my life to that end. I don't want him to get. I don't want my son to get up and say, "Well, I forgave my dad, you know, my, and we got our relationship right before he died, because he messed around with women and did this, and you know, well, at least we, you know, we patched things up at the end, and I got 32 people at my funeral. No, I see. Okay, the Rose Garden with the Lakers or with the Blazers play. Lakers. I hate the Lakers. Ooh, that's a. Uh, where the Blazers play. <laughs> I hate the Lakers. What's this Boise stuff, Boise State stuff in my basket in the church? I don't know about all that stuff. Ducks, <coughs> ducks, uh, ducks. <laughs> anyway, whatever. But, uh, but uh, so I have that in my mind. I have that in my mind. Is what what is my funeral going to look like? And we'd be it'd be good for us to look at that. Where, where am I? Number that was six. Number seven. Your wife's well-being. I'm almost done. Your wife's well-being. Turn to Ephesians chapter five. Ephesians chapter 5. Let me give you the second most famous scripture in the Bible. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Galatians, Ephesians, Genesis. The book of hesitations. Okay, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Why? There's, there's, if you are a male in America, you, knew two, you know two verses. I don't care if you... You never go to church. If you drink beer, if you know two verses. John 3.16, because you saw it in the end of an end zone. And, and verse 22, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as in the Lord. Those are the two verses every male in America knows. For the husband is the head of the wife, also as Christ is the head of the church, and he's the savior of the body. Can I ask you this question, guys, about, about verse 22? Wives, submit yourselves to those own husbands. Who was that written to? No, who was it written to? It was written to wives. So do you see anywhere where that says that was written to husbands? So let's just do our verse and let them do their verse. See, let's don't quote. If, you, if, you're, if your marriage has to quote this verse to them, then your marriage is in trouble. You do, you do the next verse that we're going to share with you and let them do their verse. All right? <coughs> wives, submit yourselves to your husband that has the wife. Verse 24. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let their wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it, her with washing of water by the word. Now, verse 27. That he might present her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy without blemish. He might present her to himself. 
let me say something to you, and again, I don't mean to be mean, this is why I talk to my guys. If you've been married 25 years and your wife's a bitter old woman, it's because you made her that way. You're presenting her to yourself. If your wife is a wonderful person and you've been married for 25 years, chances are you presented her to yourself by the actions you treated her like a queen. If you know my wife, everybody thinks my wife is the greatest woman in the world. And she is, because I made her that way. <laughs> now, I had a lot to work with. I'll be honest, don't tell her that. But I had a lot to work with on the side. But I could have messed that up. And my wife is the most amazing, wonderful woman in the world. And I can't help but think that part of it is because I pre I'm presenting her to myself because I treat her like a queen. You getting this? So let your wife do her deal, her verse, and you just do your verse. As a matter of fact, I think it's probably much harder. Or the verse is power, more powerful than husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Jesus had not one selfish bone in his body. He didn't demand his own, his own reclining chair and everybody else get out of my way. He didn't demand his, you know, certain type of truck so he could drive it and, you know, and I don't care what you, I don't care if this cuts into the family budget, I'm going to drive this truck. Give me a break. I told one guy one time he had a Jeep and, he, and his wife was throwing things at him and I went over there and I said, what's going on? He said, we're broke, and he's putting all his money into that Jeep. I said, oh, it's real simple. Sell the Jeep. He said, I won't do it. Well, they're divorced, and he's... I mean, he, he got the Jeep. He is a... Yeah. yeah. He's, a, he's a sad human being now. I saw him. I saw him. He, this was like 25 years ago. I saw, see him now, and he's like... He's, he's this close to holding up a sign, we'll work for food. I mean, he's that, he's that bad. He's a sad human being. He doesn't have the Jeep. He couldn't afford it. Finally, number, number eight and finally, the vision and direction of your home is up to you. What kind of family are you? The vision and direction of your home is up to you. What kind of family are you? You ever think about that? What kind of family are you? You ever, you ever put a label on your family? What kind of family are you? I'm a ministry family. We do ministry. Now, my son doesn't have to go into ministry, but I'm a ministry family. We're a Christian ministry family. That's what who we are. What kind of home are you? Well, we're just we're just trying to make a living and survive. <laughs> no, that's exactly what you're doing is making a living and surviving. But what kind of what kind of family? What's the label on you? What what kind of direction are you going? I set the direction for my for my household and and uh, and, and again, I'm not talking about I'm not talking about some kind of ruler and tyrant. And I bring my wife in on every decision I make, things like that. We we make decisions together, but usually it's me suggesting things. I, I invest in real estate. I'm got a house I'm trying to close on down on beach house. We're trying to close on right now, and and I'll go out. Okay, what do you think? This is what they offer. What you know? She'll you know. Well, whatever you think. Okay, you know. I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. I'm not. And she usually agrees with me 99.9 percent .9 of the time. Why? Because I've got some wins under my belt. What kind of family? What's, what's the label on your household? What's the direction of your household? I mean, just I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I just can't imagine just coming home from work every day and sitting around doing nothing. I mean, you know, you guys ought to be getting involved and build a church or, you know, let's go build a church. Let's quit, you know, watching. Let's go, instead of, instead of blowing our minds on five hours of TV every night, 
let's go down and let's go help Pastor Mark build a church or something. Let's make, let's, let's make life meaningful. Let's do something. I don't want to go to heaven and him say, man, you made it. <laughs> oh, dude, you don't know how close it was, you know. <laughs> I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Don't you? Don't, is that what it's all about? You know, so so let's let's get. I mean, you got you got a pastor with great vision and great dreams, and they're gonna try to buy buildings and different things. And you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I jokingly say this, but you know, we're 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 trying to raise. I'm I'm doing a three and a half million dollar project, and you know, I mean, the first thing that's gonna go, I'm gonna sell my Harley and give it to the building fund. Pfft, same God got me the. I want a better one anyway. So, I mean, what's the big deal about stuff and things? This life is so short. I'm 51. I was 22 day before yesterday. Now I'm 51. I'll be 75 day after tomorrow. Life's so short. Let's put something. Let's do something as men. Let's, let's teach Sunday school. Let's, let's be the one that teaches that Sunday school class. And that one kid that comes out of there says, I don't remember that guy's name, but he was so good to me. He was like a father figure to me. And, you know, he's off in New York City somewhere. But he, man, that guy was... I remember that guy. That, that I don't know who he was, but he was the most loving guy. I just I don't know why, but he just affected my life. Isn't that better than saying, "Well, did you watch the you know Did you watch uh, some movie or did you see the latest episode of Twenty Four? Wow, it was great. Record those things and watch them some other time. Do whatever, but let's do something for God, man. Amen. Let's do something for God. Let's make an impact in this life and. Let's don't be a bunch of bedwet mamas, boys. Amen? Amen. Peace out. <laughs>